This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 52, if you have a Bible. Um, As we work through, we're just exploring how Acts is a story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And it's not just descriptive of what happened in the first century, but it's prescriptive for what should still be happening today in 2023. That everywhere people exist, they're supposed to have an experience of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and find their place in the church. And so today, what we're going to see is how everything in life points to Jesus. Um, are, are any of you, you maybe raise your hand, maybe don't, I don't care. Are, are any of you, would you describe yourself as a nervous talker? As in when there's space, you're just going to fill it with words? Yeah? Some of you? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So now that we know that, we won't leave any empty spaces this morning um, because you'll just, you'll start. Uh, But if you're a nervous talker, you have probably found yourself in a position where there's been a silence and you uh, have decided to fill the silence and you started telling a story. And about halfway into the story, you realized there is no point to my story, (laughs) right? You're just, you're out on an island. You started it. You wanted to see where it would go. And now you're not real sure, right? You're like a plane circling in the air, searching for a runway, hoping you get there before you run out of fuel. Or maybe you've been on the other side, and and I found myself in this position before, where you're telling a story because you think it's going to help you connect with someone, and midway through your story, you see that not only is it not helping you connect with them, but they have completely lost interest in what you're saying. Right? And, and so maybe, maybe it happens in a church lobby, and as you're telling them the story, you can see that they're just kind of looking over your shoulder. Right? They have that look of help, rescue, someone please come intervene to save me from this guy. Uh, you know, my, my kids, I think, are having that experience with me more the older I get. Of Not only do I tell them stories that they don't want to hear, but I tell them the same stories they don't want to hear over and over and over again. Uh, but, but all of us, whether we're nervous talkers or we like to tell stories or, or we're just normal people, we tell stories for all kinds of reasons. We tell them to entertain each other. We tell them to inform each other. We tell them to connect with each other. Sometimes we're telling stories to kill time. Uh, And and what we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 13 is Paul is, is kind of sharing the gospel in a way where he's identifying the stories that the people he's talking to really hold dear to themselves, and he's trying to show them how their stories draw a straight line to Jesus. Now, later in the book of Acts, this morning Paul's audience is primarily a Jewish audience, so he's going to tell the stories of the Old Testament. Later in the book of Acts, Paul will find himself sharing the story of Jesus with people who have no Jewish background, no real connection to it. And so he'll use any story he can find from culture, even from other religions, to show them that these stories have been put in your heart to prepare the way for Jesus. And so today, what I hope we'll understand is is regardless of our connection to Jesus, regardless of how long we've walked with him, or maybe we don't walk with him at all, that all of us have God-given desires, hopes, dreams, longings, uh, things in our life that have been put there by God for the express purpose of pointing us to Jesus. And with those longings and with those hopes and with those dreams, we will try to chase them and fulfill them in all kinds of ways, but only Jesus will bring permanent and lasting fulfillment in those areas because that's how God designed it. 
And so what, what I want us to experience this morning is this reality that everything in your life is intended to point you to Jesus. Your successes and your failures are meant to draw a straight line to your need for him, right? Your, your questions and your certainties are meant to lead you directly to him. And not only that, but as you go out to work, to school, to your neighborhood with friends and family, and you're interacting with others who don't know Jesus, if you walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's going to show you how the stories of their life, the longings, the fears, that the hopes and dreams are also creating straight lines to Jesus, where you can step in and just begin to show them really legitimately everything in life points to Jesus. And when you have that revelation, we'll see in Acts chapter 13, it leads you to a point of decision, which ultimately is intended to lead you into an eternal experience of joy. Acts 13, verses 13 through 52 is where it'll be. It's a very long passage of scripture. Um, I would encourage you to read the, the whole thing later on your own. Today, we're just gonna highlight a couple portions of it, and, and we'll start with a few of the things that Paul pulls out as pointing to Jesus. So the, the context here is Paul and Barnabas are on one of their ministry trips. They've arrived in a new city, and they're wanting to share the gospel. And so often what they will do when they arrive in new cities is they will go to the synagogues. Because Paul and Barnabas both are Jewish Christians. They have grown up with a Jewish background. They understand the Old Testament, the culture, and the customs. There are Jewish people spread throughout the world at that time. And so this is almost always their starting point early in their ministry. Of Let's go to the synagogue and see if we can tell people about Jesus. Well, in this instance, in Acts chapter 13, we find they go to the synagogue. They're seated, and the synagogue leader acknowledges them and asks if they have anything to share. Now, we're, we're just kind of getting introduced to Paul in the book of Acts, but what you will learn about Paul is he always has something to share. Paul never declines an invitation to speak, and he never runs out of words to say. In fact, later in Acts, we'll find he teaches so long and so late into the night that somebody falls, out, falls asleep in the window, dies, Paul goes out, prays for them, he comes back to life, and Paul goes back upstairs and continues to teach for the rest of the night. He will not be dissuaded, right? He, uh, I, don't, I don't know if Paul, like in our setting, if, if Paul came as a guest speaker, I'm like, Paul, we have three services. I think his response would be, now you have one. Because um, I'm going to use all the time and all the words, and, and we're going to do it. So what we find then is Paul is eager to teach. Paul is always welcome to the presence of the Holy Spirit, the leading and guiding. And in this space, he knows his audience is very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And so he chooses to use those as his launching point to show them how everything points to Jesus. Now, again, Paul adjusts his model in different places in different ways. Uh, if Paul was here today, if he's sharing the gospel in Norman, Oklahoma, he's going to make some boomer sooner applications, right? If he is going to Stillwater, he's going to have the guns up and go pokes and tell him how all of that points to Jesus. But today where we are, he plants himself in the Old Testament because that is his audience. And so we'll start in verse 17. Paul gets up to speak and he begins to tell the people their own history. He says, the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during the stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. 
So there's, there's three things Paul highlights here. He says that your freedom, your land, and your covenant are gifts from God given not just to be enjoyed in themselves, but to ultimately prepare your hearts to receive Jesus as the fulfillment of every desire. So he tells the people some stories that they're familiar with. First, he reminds them, your ancestors were slaves in Egypt. They were called apart by God, but they found themselves in a land of slavery and bondage. And in that space, they cried out for freedom. And when they cried out for freedom, God led them out of the wilderness. And when he led them out of the wilderness, he led them into the promised land. And in the promised land, they had a place to plant their feet. They had a place to build their homes. They had a place to build up cities, a place to plant vineyards, to, to plow fields, a place where for generation after generation after generation, the Jewish people would call their home. And so there's this intense longing in the hearts of every Jewish person for freedom from foreign oppressors and for a home in their land where they are safe and they're secure and they have a place to belong from generation to generation to generation. Now, it's the land that's important to them because their, their experience of freedom and their experience of the land are the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Abraham had been called out by God. He'd been told, leave your father and mother, go to the land to which I will show you. I'll make you into a nation that's as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. No one will be able to count your descendants and all people will be blessed through you. And so what Paul is reminding his Jewish audience of is, listen, deep in your heart, you still have a longing for freedom, you still have a longing for land of your own, and you have a longing to be part of God's covenant people where you know you belong. Now, those three things are not exclusive to the Jewish people, but instead they are desires that God has put into the heart of every man, woman, teenager, and child that has lived then and continues to live now. We all still have a longing for freedom. Right? No one wants to live under oppressive, an oppressive system or oppressive powers. No one wants to live in slavery. No one wants to live in bondage. We want to be free to worship God, free to make our choices, free to raise our families. That freedom still resides deep in our hearts. We also still have a longing for land. Now, our longing for land is not necessarily a longing for the promised land. If it was, you, you probably would have already packed up and moved to Israel. Right, but our longing for land is we're longing for a place to belong. We're longing for a place to call our home. And so, so that longing looks different. For some of us, our longing for land is, you know what I want? I just want an apartment in a big city with no maintenance that I never have to take care of. For others of you, your longing for land is, I want to I move to the mountains. And I want to be there, and I want to be all alone, and I want to have a miles-long view. Some of you, the land you long for is the beach. Some of you, the land you long for is an acreage in Oklahoma with enough guns and cows and horses that you'll never have to see anyone ever again, right? It doesn't matter what it is. We all have that longing. When we're buying homes and renovating homes, it's an expression of this longing for a land, of this longing for a place to belong, a place to call our own that cannot be taken away from us. And then we still have this longing for covenant as well. We want to know that we belong to something bigger than ourselves. We want to know that we are safe and we are secure in God's family. 
And and the way that we chase after all of these things can either point us and prepare our hearts for Jesus, or we can waste all of our time chasing temporary things that try to to fill these eternal longings that God has placed in our hearts. And what Paul is trying to help his audience understand and what he's trying to help us understand today is your longing for freedom will only be met in Jesus. Your longing for land and a place to belong is meant to be fulfilled in God's kingdom. Your longing for covenant is meant to be fully embraced in your identity as the sons or the daughters of God through Jesus Christ. And so Paul's trying to help his audience understand you've been doing it this way for centuries and it hasn't quite worked. It's got you close, but not all the way there. And now he's going to show them how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those desires. But before he does that, he he continues to go through a couple other things that we see in their history that reveal something in our hearts. Verse 21, Paul says, Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And so as as Paul shifts the story from Abraham, he shifts the story from the Exodus, from the possession of the promised land, he moves into one of the next significant moments in Israel's history, and it's when they become a monarchy. When they begin to welcome kings into their their lives and begin to establish the system and structure. And what Paul's highlighting is, is really that desire for a king, what it was, was a desire for safety, security, and significance. They are longing for it. Now, now what you need to understand, and, and if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that when Israel asks for a king, God's first response is to tell them, no, I am your king. You don't need another king. The reason they want a king is they want to be like the other nations. Now, God had designed his people to live under his sovereign rule and under his sovereign care. He had designed them to hear his voice through prophets or through judges that he would raise up to accomplish his purposes at different times and in different places. But God's plan for Israel was for them to be different than the nations around them. And Israel's response to that was, thank you, but we want to be like them. So will you give us a king? We know that you're a king, but Lord, what we really want is we want to be able to look to a man. We want to be able to look to a royal family. We want there to be a capital city with a palace and a throne. And we want a place where we can say, that's where our safety resides. We want a place where we can say, that's where our security is found. We want a king who commands an army. We want a king who builds walls. We want a king who establishes things to keep us safe from those who would try to invade us. And where the Lord has told them, that's what I'm going to do for you, they say, that's great, but we want something tangible. And so God allows them a king. He warns them what it's going to be like. He says, hey, he's going to take your sons into his service. He's going to take your daughters into his service. He's going to tax you. Your lives are going to become more difficult. And the people say, bring it on. And then for generation after generation, they have good kings and they have bad kings, but they never escape that longing for safety and security and significance. And at the core of Israel's desire for a king is is that desire for significance, They want to look like the other nations. They want to attach their name to a royal name. They want to be able to say, the house of David is our house. 
They want to be able to say there's a name that is above all of the other names in our nation that other people recognize and makes other people tremble. And so what we see in in our lives today is we still have these same longings, even though they get expressed in different ways. Right? There's, I mean, we're Americans. Nobody is advocating for a monarchy, right? Because we are all our own kings, and we know what to do better than anyone. But we still have this desire for safety. We still want to know, I am secure in my life. And we hunt for it in all kinds of ways. We think, if, if I can make enough money, I will be safe and I will be secure. If my kids can get enough education, they will be safe and they will be secure. If I'll take all the vitamins and rub all the oils, I will be healthy and I will be strong and safe and secure from every sickness and disease. Right? We think if, if we have the, the right army, the right police force, if we have a, enough strength, enough wisdom, enough intellect, we will be safe and secure. That if we, can, if we can kind of peek into the future and just have a clue of what's coming next, we can prepare ourselves to be ready for it. And that desire for significance, it still resides in us as well. We, it's why we attach our lives to so many other things that we think are bigger than us. Right? It's like... You guys know, I'm, I mean, if you've been around here very long, you know I'm a, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs football fan, right? And so I, I love the Chiefs. I cheer for the Chiefs. I think Patrick Mahomes is like my long-lost son. Uh, you know, like, like I love all of that. And I recognize in that there's this desire to attach my life to something bigger than me, something that is culturally significant. And somehow, in a weird way, when men I don't know win a game on Sunday, I feel better about myself. And it makes no sense at all. And up until this year, I thought that was primarily a unique uh, football, sports, or maybe politics kind of experience where we have an irrational attachment to somebody that has no idea who we are. And, And yet, as a Chiefs fan, I have been introduced this year to a whole new world of fandom. Because we've got this tight end who started dating this girl. And, and she has a, a, like a group of fans that are unlike anything I've ever seen. A, a group of, like there is a passion for, I didn't grow up a musical person. So I don't understand the idea of like a celebrity or a musician or an artist getting this like undying devotion. Uh, but they, they've got their own name and they've got, they've got their own thing. And I've heard if you go at them, they come at you. And, and I, I, don't, I don't understand any of that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, God bless you. Live in ignorance, right? <laughs> It's been a disturbing revelation. But, but what we find is we will look for anything that we think makes us more significant. Right? This is why you follow, I mean, we're in South Tulsa. You follow a minivan or a large SUV around town, and there's stickers telling you all the things that their kids do. And each one of those is a moment of significance. Right? There's the honor roll student, and there's the band student, and there's the orchestra, and there's the musician, and there's the athlete, and there's this, and there's that. And, and in every one of those environments, and every one of those subcultures, we're hunting for safety and security and significance, and we're longing for temporary wins and temporary recognition to somehow meet this eternal longing that God has placed in our heart. And what we find over and over and over again is it never works. We never get there. It's never fully and finally satisfied. And this is where Paul is trying to help the, the, the people he's speaking to that day come to understand of, listen, we had, we had Saul and he wasn't great. We had David and he was awesome. 
we had Solomon and he was incredible. And then we kind of fell off a cliff and we had a rough run of kings. But no matter who or no matter when, we've never had a king that could perfectly and finally satisfy our desires for safety and security and significance. And for you and I today, it's bringing us to a point of acknowledging no matter what I invest my time and energy into, that deep and eternal longing for safety, for security and significance will never be fully and finally met. Because everything I'm putting my hope in is fleeting and temporary. And I may experience some really high moments where I feel incredibly significant. But the moment that thing or that person or that place fails, I'm crushed with it. And so Paul's trying to help us understand, hey, everything in life points to Jesus. To put it another way, Paul's presenting the idea to to his first century audience of all roads lead to Jesus. Now, when, when, he, when he makes that implication, it is not in the pluralistic sense that we might be tempted to understand it today. Right? There, there's that idea out there of all roads lead to God. And so you do you, and you do you, and I'll do me, and we'll all wind up in the same place. That is not at all what Paul is saying in Acts chapter 13. He's telling us every story is a story to prepare our hearts for Jesus. Every moment is a space where the Holy Spirit is working to reveal Jesus to us. And then he makes it very, very clear everything points to Jesus, but more specifically, everything points to making a decision about Jesus. And so as he continues through Acts chapter 13, we skip down to verse 38. As Paul gets to the the end of his message, he concludes this way. He says, Therefore, my friends... I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. So as, as Paul's emphasizing, everything points to Jesus, right? What he's trying to help us understand is not just, hey, every story in your life is a story about Jesus. But he's trying to help you understand every story in your life is a story about Jesus that's intended to bring you to a point of decision about Jesus. Where we don't just get to sit back and think, that's really cool that God put a desire for safety and security and significance in my life. Where we don't just get to kind of admire the fact that God gave me a desire for freedom and land and covenant and then he fulfilled it in Jesus. But when I see that the longings of my heart, when you understand that every desire you have is intended to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, it's supposed to bring you to a point, Paul says, where you make a change. He says, if you believe this, right, your belief is not just appreciation or agreement. Your belief is always expressed in action. And Paul shows us three primary ways that we are to believe and act. First, he says, Jesus has come to bring you forgiveness from sin. And so what that means for us is if I believe Jesus brings forgiveness, then it means I need to confess my sin. To follow Jesus is always to embrace confession of sin. Now, now there can be a thought culturally for us at times of, you know what's not nice? It's not nice to tell people that they have sin that they need to confess. It's not nice to tell people that they are broken, dead, and dying. 
It's not nice to tell people that they will never be good enough on their own, that without Jesus, they are nothing more than an eternal screw-up, that they will continue to distort the image of God in their own life and destroy the plans of God in the lives of others. And yet what Paul is making very clear to us is Jesus has come to bring forgiveness, and the reason he has to bring forgiveness is because every single one of us need it. So we can never allow ourselves to believe the lie that there exists a category of people who do not need to confess, who do not need to repent. And anytime you're tempted to look at your life and think, you know what? I've actually nailed it my whole life. There's nothing to confess of. There is no wrong that I've ever done. You reveal two things. One, how ignorant you are of the state of your own soul. And two, you're also making a declaration that from your point of view, Jesus wasted his life and wasted his time. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is if Jesus comes to bring forgiveness, we believe that, but that belief causes us to act on it. And the way we act on the forgiveness of Jesus is by confessing our sins. Because we believe what the scriptures tell us, that there is no one righteous, not even one. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there, our sin has created a gap between us and God, and the only way for us to find resolution is through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so as you confess, you are freely, finally, and fully forgiven. Right? There is no extra work to be done. There is no extra effort to be made. You are forgiven, you are made new, and God no longer counts those sins against you. In fact, the scriptures tell you, not only does he not hold them against you, but he remembers them no more. When he looks at you, he does not see all the things you used to do. He sees you as one who has been remade in the image of Christ, completely clean and completely welcome. Now, you're going to believe in his forgiveness by expressing it with confession, but Paul says Jesus hasn't just come to forgive you of all sin. He says he's come to free you from every sin. And so it's, it's this picture being presented of we need to act on our forgiveness, but we also need to act on our freedom. And the way you act on your forgiveness is confession. The way you act on your freedom is repentance and walking into new life. Repentance is acknowledging I have been forgiven, but now, Lord, I am turning away from this old dead way of living, and I am walking into the new life that you have called me to. Freedom is the path that Jesus comes to establish for us, to announce you've been forgiven of every sin. Now we're going to turn away. We're going to leave it behind. We're not going to continue to play with it. We're not going to continue to mess with it. We're not going to dance around with it. We're not going to see how close we can get to it. But you have been brought into freedom and new life. And on that path of freedom, you're going to turn and you're going to walk. And you're going to leave all those old chains and all that old bondage behind you. You are not who you used to be or what you used to do. Because you have now been forgiven, you have been made new, and you're going to walk in this new freedom. It's, it's the picture of life. Lazarus when Jesus calls him out of the tomb and Lazarus bumbles and stumbles his way to the exit of the tomb and he's standing there fully alive yet wrapped in the clothes of the grave and what's Jesus's command he tells those gathered around him get those grave clothes off of him and let him go when we are forgiven by Jesus we are called to life and we stand there fully and freely forgiven but there still comes that moment of if I'm going to walk in freedom I've got to get these grave clothes off and I've got to walk in the freedom that Jesus has for me 
I love the way Paul's presenting the gospel because it's just that very simple. You're going to believe, you're going to confess, and you're going to act on what God has done. And then that, that, last, that last line he gives us, you have now received a justification that you could not receive from the law. Now, now that idea is, is not maybe quite as clear as what it means to be forgiven or what it means to be free. To be justified means that you have been made fully, finally, and perfectly right with God. It means there is nothing left to be earned and nothing left to be done. It means that everything not only has not been counted against you and cast away, but you have now been transferred completely and fully. And this is how God already sees you. Now it's just about you learning to see yourself this way. Now you, you are not the struggling, the bumbling, the hope I make it to the end kind of Christian. Paul says you're forgiven, you're free, and you are justified. You can stand in boldness before the Lord. You can stand in the confidence of what Christ has done. You stand with your new name as the son, as the daughter of God, knowing this is what I was made for, this is where I belong, and this is where I will be. This is the gospel, not here's a list of rules, not here's some, some, some kind of useful teaching, good luck trying to apply it, but that Jesus comes and transfers us from life to death, from darkness to light, and now now we fully walk and embrace that new identity and we live with the freedom that Jesus offers to us. Right? And this is the decision that the gospel points us to. When you hear this kind of, of drastic difference between life without Christ and life with Christ, you are not allowed the option of saying, thank you, I'll consider that and maybe respond later. You're not allowed the option of saying, I see that you presented me with A or B, I choose C. Right? To, to hear the gospel is to accept it or to reject it. If we had more time this morning, we would work through Acts chapter 13, and you would see how there's a group in this city who accept Jesus and become his followers. And there's a group who reject Jesus and immediately start to work against him. And the group that rejects Jesus, they reject him because he's a threat to their power, their standing, and their significance. They're afraid that if this new Jesus movement takes off, no one's going to respect them. No one's going to come to them. They're going to lose money. They're going to lose power. They're going to lose influence. And so because following Jesus is going to cost them something, they actively reject and turn away from him, not understanding that what they're actually turning away from is the life they were created to find joy and peace and hope in. Right? And today, that decision about Jesus still leads us to that point. And at that point, some will accept and some will reject. Right? But what we are supposed to understand as we keep working through Acts chapter 13 is regardless of how others respond, my job is to say yes to Jesus, to share the good news with others, and to be filled with joy and with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll wrap up this morning in Acts chapter 13, verse 49. It says, The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I love that closing line. It's, it's one that we find a variation of several times in Acts where we're told the church faces persecution, the message of Jesus is rejected, but the gospel continues to advance and the church continues to grow. And then specifically, Luke tells us in this season, in this city, 
where there's a new group of believers and their, their leaders have been driven out of town. Paul and Barnabas have seen the church established, but they've been run off before they've been able to make disciples. What we see is they're still filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so what we're intended to understand is even today when we choose Jesus, you are not choosing a religion. You are not choosing a way of life. You are not choosing a a set of religious doctrine that you agree with more than other religious teachings in the world. You are are not choosing a community of like-minded people to raise your family in. You're not choosing some people who will be with you to celebrate your wins and mourn your losses. You're not choosing just a place where where you're going to feel comfortable and at ease. But what Paul is telling us is when you choose Jesus, what you're choosing is the good news of great joy for all people that the angels announced to the shepherd. What you're choosing is what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 about you're choosing inexpressible joy. Right, a joy that runs deeper than your circumstances. And the connection that Luke makes is joy is not something Jesus just sends as an independent emotion or experience, but joy is the result of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you choose Jesus, you're choosing to be the place where God's glory dwells. When you choose Jesus, you are choosing to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you choose Jesus, you are choosing to have an existence where your life is a space where heaven meets earth. When you choose Jesus, you are choosing your eternal identity that you were created for. When you choose Jesus, you are choosing the one who fulfills every longing and forgives every sin. When you choose Jesus, you're choosing the one who's promised to lead you and guide you through the valley of the shadow of death. The one who has promised he will lead you on the right paths for his name's sake. The one who has promised he will never leave you or forsake you. The one who promises he not only knows your name, he knows the number of hairs on your head. The one who says, you don't need to worry because I'm taking care of all of it. The one who says, I know your problems before you even experience them and I've already got a path to lead you through them. The one who's over all things, above all things and in all things. The one who holds all things together for his glory and for our good. When you choose Jesus, you're not choosing flannel graph, Sunday school Jesus of a nice little role model and I pray a meaningless prayer when life is hard. You are choosing the creator of of all things. You're choosing the Savior and King and Lord. You are choosing the one who suffered, died, was crucified, and was buried. You're choosing the one who rose again and promises that he is now the resurrection and the life. You're choosing the only way to the Father. You are choosing to live and never die because you belong to him. When you choose Jesus, it's not a system or a structure. It's a person and an experience. And what we learn in Acts is when you choose Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you experience a joy that runs deeper than your circumstances. You experience a significance that doesn't depend on how your team, your politician, your bank account, or your health is doing. You experience a sense of safety and security that you will not find in any other place or any other person. You are finding that you walk in freedom, that you belong in the land to which he's called you, and you live in an unbreakable covenant that he has established and welcomed you into. When you choose Jesus, you choose life, and it's a life full of joy, full of the Holy Spirit that empowers you, strengthens you, and overflows out of you into the world around you. It's a choice that can 
cannot be contained within you. It's a choice that compels you to share good news. It's a choice that pushed Paul and Barnabas all over the world sharing this good news. It's a choice that has taken place every, every community, every city, in every life from that day to this and will continue until Christ returns. The reason the story of Jesus is powerful is because it's not just a story. It's the way we were created to live. It is the very breath of creation. It is the life in which we are all being invited into. And as we accept it and receive it, we walk into that new life. We experience the power of the Holy Spirit and we are filled with an inexpressible joy regardless of our circumstances. If you'll stand with me, I wanna pray with us this morning. Jesus, we come to you today. And Lord, we're asking that you will lift our eyes up to see you as the point of every story and the fulfillment of every desire. Will you show us, Lord, in our spaces of pain and suffering today that you are the one who comes to speak, to lead, to guide, to provide. You're the one who heals and delivers. You are the one who sets us free. You're the one who establishes our identity and walks with us on the path of life you've created for us. So Jesus, today we pray if there's anyone in the room or online with us who's not yet surrendered to you, today, Lord, will you draw them into that experience of submission and surrender, of confessing their sins and walking in new life. Lord, we pray for those who feel bound up by their sin, by their addiction, by the bondages in their mind and their soul and their relationships. Today, will you remind them you have come to bring freedom. You've come to break every chain of sin. So Lord, today, may we hear your voice. May we follow your path. May we experience the life that you are revealing to us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to reveal Jesus to us. And we welcome you to bring deep, and unending experiences of joy into our life, into our hearts and minds, into our relationships and circumstances. Jesus, we believe that all of our stories lead us to you and lead us to a point of joyful decision where we surrender our lives, we confess our sins, and we receive the new life that you've offered to us. So Lord, will you do that for each one of us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.